Hi, everyone, and welcome back to How to College for First Gens, our podcast where we get together with fellow first gens to have real discussions on what it's like to be among the first ones in your family to attend and graduate from college. My name is Norma Torres Mendoza, and I'm one of the co-hosts. So last week, we had part one on how to build a network in high school and in college. And today's episode will be a part two on how to continue to build that network post-college and once you enter the workforce. Today, we will discuss this topic with my good friend, Yanni. I first met Yanni when I moved to the Rio Grande Valley, and I was working down there for a school district, and Yanni was probably one of the most well-connected individuals that I met in my time in the RGV. She just has this personality to her that she is generally intrigued by people, who they are and what they do, and it brings her so much joy to be able to connect folks and to continue to expand in her network. So today, she'll tell us what she does to keep up with that network and what she did when she moved to a whole new different city and how she began a new network from scratch. So let's jump right in and let's have a combo with Yanni. Hi Yanni, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Norma. Thank you for having me. Why don't you begin by telling our audience a little bit about you? My name is Yanira Aguilar, and I am a native of Edinburgh, Texas. It's a small town on the border of Texas with Reynosa and Matamoros, Mexico. So definitely understanding the biculturalism of being a United States citizen, but being surrounded by a lot of people from Mexico with Mexican culture. I grew up in Edinburgh and attended public schools there, graduated, and went off to college at the University of Texas Pan American, which happened to be the university that was about five miles from my home. So an opportunity that I wasn't sure I was going to be able to take advantage of, but due to some geographical preferences on my end, I was able to go to the university and graduate with a bachelor's degree in marketing. That is amazing, Yanni. And tell our audience, what do you do now? I actually am not in marketing. I am a school principal. So I am in my third year of the principalship with Idea Public Schools. And I've actually relocated to El Paso, Texas. So I went from one tip of Texas to the other. A pretty significant move, but still on the border. So now I'm on the border town with Juarez, Mexico. And it's really fascinating to see students in my building that commute every day, but are committed to their own education as well. Their parents too, right? Because they're the ones making the sacrifice to make that commute. I love it. I lived, as you know, in the Rio Grande Valley, and that's where we met. And I cherish those two years because I really fell in love with the Mexico and the U.S. culture, as you just mentioned, and the people that were there. So I long to one day maybe return to the RGV. But today we're going to talk a little bit about networks. But before we jump in, can you tell us a little bit about your first generation college journey? So when did you first learn that you were going to be a first generation college student? Part of the journey of being a first-generation college student is truly understanding your own identity. And as a student, my parents ultimately would just tell my sister and I, your number one job and your only job is to be a good student. So as far as I was concerned, being a student was the only thing I needed to be good at. As I started growing and moving through elementary school and middle school and hearing some of my peers talk about their older siblings that were in college, I definitely developed an interest in college, but didn't really understand what that meant. 
as I moved into upper middle school and high school, I truly started seeing my counselors talk to certain students. And then I kind of asked more questions. And that's when it became more evident. Nobody in my family has really gone to college. A few folks had gone to quote unquote technical college to become secretaries or take on technical jobs, but nobody had a four-year degree. So it was very confusing for me. As I continued through that process, I think I figured out I'm a top performing kid in my school. I was top 10, top 10%. And it was very important for me to start thinking about college. The challenge that I was faced with was that the adults around me felt like nobody in your family has gone to college. That's probably not the right path for you. You should think about trying to find a good job as soon as you graduate from high school. And that moment was very hard for me. It was heartbreaking. I actually went through an identity crisis thinking to myself, what is going to become of me after I graduate from high school? My parents once again stepped in and they were the ones that pushed me to truly think about applying to college, getting accepted to college and going to college. As a first gen, my parents really didn't know anything about that stuff. So I was on my own. I had applied to a few universities throughout the state of Texas, and I was fortunate enough to be accepted to the University of Texas at Austin, which was extremely exciting. The problem was I actually didn't have the financial support to make that happen. And because my journey through high school didn't really lend itself to me applying to scholarships, mostly in part because I just didn't know that they existed. I ended up going to UT Austin for the summer with a little bit of cash that I had on hand. And then I returned home to finish my degree at the University of Texas Pan American. Wow, Danny, I actually remember part of this story now. It's all coming back and why you had such a thirst in your personal life to ensure that whenever we were sending kids to college, they had the financial stability to be able to stay there and actually graduate. So it's all connecting the dots for me. So I imagine that because you were the first one in your family, you had to rely on various types of networks. So why don't we begin on how you would even define what a network is? And then if you could talk a little bit about in different parts of your journey, how you relied in some of those networks. When we hear the word network, sometimes people get scared because they think like, oh my gosh, I've got to meet new people. And if you're an introvert, that could be a little scary. But at the end of the day, every single person that you know, even your family members are your network. I can take you back to the very first people in my network. It was a truck driver and a secretary. And that was my mom and dad. So my dad, as a truck driver, taught my sister and I about responsibility, understanding the nuances of how a truck worked. We were able to explore geography and roadways and how all of these maps worked. And my mother was a secretary and she worked for a relatively prominent lawyer in South Texas. And so she introduced us to politics and electoral system because we would work campaigns. And so with the two of them, we generated and we started to develop this interest in what we wanted to be when we grew up. Ultimately, that was the start of my network. What you just said is so important. Oftentimes, we think about networks as very important people with very important titles out there without really thinking who is in my family and how can I leverage the information that they have. And that is exactly how you began your story today with your own parents and learning from your dad as a truck driver how maps work. And I think oftentimes as first gens, We don't think about our own family as our network. So for our first gens, look around. You might not think that you're connected to the president of the United States, but you have so much knowledge and wealth just at your fingertips with who is in your house. Absolutely. And when you think of the individuals and the people that are around you, even as a young person, 
Everyone that is around you is a member of your network and has something that can either connect you to someone else or you become a connector for them. And thinking through that process, people want to reciprocate that. Think about a time when somebody may have asked you, hey, I need somebody to, and you fill in the blank, and then your brain immediately goes to, oh, I know someone that can do that. When that happens, you start to become that little light bulb in other people's brains, which is so powerful because your network will continue to grow and grow. And you've only done the first step, which is connecting yourself to one person. So tell me a little bit more about those connectors then as you go through your educational journey. So let's talk about high school. Was there an individual that opened different doors for you? And if so, who was that person? Of course. In high school, I had a math teacher. Her name was Mrs. Taylor. She truly would endorse kids to participate in summer camps, summer away programs. And I remember she approached me about doing one of those programs. And at first I was like, "Mm, no, thank you. I don't think I've ever slept a night away from my parents. That is totally weird. What she did was she literally connected me to the program director so that we could chat, talk about what the program was like, And then he connected me to some students that had done the program before. And as a matter of fact, there were several of them at my school. That connection and starting to build my network of academics and people that were like-minded truly changed my mindset about what I could do versus the things that I was afraid to do. And with that, I was able to go off to summer camp at Texas State University in San Marcos, Texas, and have an experience that I never thought and never imagined would be an experience that I would be able to talk about. So my teachers were also part of my network, and they were connecting me to the right people outside of my school that would continue to influence and impact my life in the future. In my work with Idea Public Schools, I even had an opportunity to go back to that summer camp and connect that camp to our organization. And several students have also participated in that program. So it's just been a very rewarding connection that continues to yield and continues to allow me to build connections with people that are still in the program, students that have gone through the program and are now professionals. And it's just a really fascinating way to just be connected to people all over the place, not just from my hometown or not just from my own university. What I love about the story that you just shared with us, Yanni, is that not only did your network begin with someone connecting you, but then you turned around and became that light bulb for someone else. And that, I think, is the beauty of what a network is. It's supposed to be a web, a tie of different links coming together. And so let me ask you, what inside of you kind of made you feel like, oh, I can also connect and bring in students? So where does that come from? Part of that is the feeling that you get from connecting people, right? When I needed something or people were connecting me, I would get so excited. I'm going to meet somebody new. I'm going to be able to do more, maybe have access to school or a project or a job that I wouldn't have had otherwise. So that just made me feel like a million bucks because somebody else was thinking of me and putting me first in connecting with whoever it was that they were connecting me with, right? And as I think through my work, then I get to return the favor. I get to connect people that need a service, need a good, need a product, or just need something
somebody amazing. And all the people that I've surrounded myself with have something to give, share, or contribute. So it became easy for me. And I truly feel joy and I feel very satisfied when I'm able to connect people that are going to go on to do bigger and better things, even things outside of my own scope of work or outside of my imagination. But just seeing people come together just makes me feel good to my core. And I think that's something that you can't replicate and you can't fake. It is a genuine feeling when I connect people. I love it. And as an example, I think it was last year, I was working on a book with my godson and I just posted on my social media, I'm looking for a chef who knows a chef out there that I could interview. And sure enough, here comes Yanni and she says, let me connect you to this person who then went on to get on the book that my godson and I worked on. So that is just a premier example of who you are and why you do what you do. But how do we go a little bit deeper? So yes, there is that connection. And yes, there is that transaction. But how have you been able to build those linkage to be more meaningful relationships in your life? Something to name is that I moved away from home kind of late in life. Typically, when a student graduates from high school, they explore opportunities to go off to college and they'll leave home at the age of 18. Depending on what their trajectory looks like, they may or may not return to their hometown. For me, it was a little bit different. Because I went to school in my hometown, everything was kind of centered there. And at the ripe old age of 40, I packed my bags and moved out to El Paso, about 900 miles away from the place that I called home, where I grew up, where all of my friends and family were, to a place where I was thinking I knew no one. Now, you think about what is the impact of a network. So quickly, I made sure to tell a lot of my friends, hey, I'm moving to El Paso do you know anyone that I can get connected to? Part of what that did was it started to build some connections for me for work and also for my personal life, thinking through being a member of this community, becoming a contributor to my community and just getting folded into the fabric of my community. So the work connections were kind of obvious, right? People in education that were working with some of our service centers. But when I was thinking about community connections, I really needed some help. I was very fortunate to be connected to some very prominent women in the Junior League of El Paso. They invited me to become a member. Through that membership and through that connection and through that network, I've been able to meet some people that have become my very best friends here in El Paso. I thought to myself, without this network, I may be in a town where I could self-identify as friendless, but I'm very fortunate and have been able to create some friendships that go way deeper than the surface. And then when I talk about connecting to women that are professionals, they're like me, they think like me, they work like me, they have the same work ethics. I started thinking about purchasing a house. One of the women is a realtor, so she was able to help me get that done. When I wanted to purchase a vehicle, somebody knew a connection with one of the local dealerships and so on and so forth. So I thought about the impact of not having to truly be alone or by myself and thinking through all of these individuals who truly just wanted the best for me. That has allowed me to continue to grow and get folded into the community that I serve in a lot of different ways from not only the friendships, but also participating in a ton of community service projects. So talk to me about the process of how that actually came about. A lot of our listeners are a bit more on the shyer side, not everybody. Sometimes I get scared going up to people and saying, hi, I'm Norma, I'm XYZ. So tell me about what you feel as you're hoping that your relationship will go 
beyond a one-time meeting, right? Like you're actually hoping that this will be longer and maybe even a friendship. Most people will say that I'm extroverted and that, you know, I could make a friend anywhere. But the truth is, to your point, meeting somebody new for the first time randomly is definitely scary and a little bit intimidating. So the beauty of being connected with an organization like Junior League was the individual that took me to meet these women, we actually went to a mixer. So that was kind of like the expectation. People knew that I was going to be going up to them to introduce myself. And I also knew people would be coming up to me to introduce themselves. That created a space that was a little bit less intimidating, very welcoming. And then of course, it just lowered the level of stress because people were there doing the exact same thing that I was doing. It was fascinating to be in a room with 20 or 30 other women who were either new to El Paso or had only been in the area for a couple of years. So we had a lot of similarities. So it was very easy to start building connections right out of the gate. And I think that's important. Think about what fits you best and try to put yourself in those types of situations. Even though I consider myself to be an extrovert, even though I love being in front of audiences, that very first connection and introduction can be a little awkward. So having an opportunity where that's the expectation really made it feel a little bit more natural and a lot easier. So the relationships kind of cultivated in a very natural and fluid way. So I'm going to extract here a couple of the lessons that I think you're mentioning here. If you are a first-gen listening to this and you are going to a different city, state, country for your job, one, ask your friends and your group already, do you know anyone there that can connect me? Because then that sort of begins the ripple effect. And then the second thing you mentioned is go to events where people are there to meet other people, where it becomes natural that people are going to introduce themselves. So that way it doesn't feel completely awkward that you are at the store wanting to shake someone's hand as opposed to in an environment where that is the norm and that's why people are there. Correct. One last thing to lift when it comes to those opportunities is remember that not every connection, not every member of your network is an intimate friend. And that's okay. You've got to remember that each individual that comes into your life and becomes part of your network, you may reach out to them today or tomorrow. You may reach out to them in 10 years. But Making sure that you keep that network fluid and growing and building is extremely important because that's what allows you to truly have a lot of people that you can go to over the course of your life. So let's dig there then. So you moved from the Rio Grande Valley, which has been your home for so many years, and now you live in a completely different city. So what are you doing to keep up with the people that were such integral folks in your life for the first 40 years of your life? So how do you know that One, they remember you. Two, that they know you're still here. What are some key things that you do to make sure that they know you are still a good human being that wants to continue to be part of their network? It's kind of tricky now in the world of social media because you could easily get overshadowed by social media. You could also get consumed by social media. One of the most important things that I have done was pick one outlet of social media that is my most powerful or most compelling to keep in touch with my friends and family from the RGB. So right now my choice of social media is Facebook because it allows me to not only just give them the general stuff like, hey, check out the stuff I'm doing and the things I'm seeing, but it also allows me to send them a direct message and kind of keep the conversation and the connection personal. I'll definitely connect to some of my other social media accounts so that they can follow me and see some of the other shenanigans that I'm doing, comment and kind of like, let me know that they're still keeping an eye on me. 
Coupled with that is definitely making a couple of phone calls a week. So I have gotten into the practice of making two phone calls to two people in my directory, in my phone book, every single week. So for some of our younger listeners, that may be a little awkward because they may not be used to picking up the phone and calling a friend or family member. There's a lot of communication via text and other platforms like WhatsApp. But definitely a phone call and hearing that voice creates a very special connection that carries you over for a while. And as I think about being in this new town away from the people that I know and love, hearing their voice definitely gives me a little infusion of like, hey, we're still here for you. And I also let them know that I'm here for them. So I think those are the two big ways that I keep connected to my roots while still exploring and growing in El Paso. Oh, you said so many things there that I want to unpack. So first, could you explain to me what you mean by overshadowed by social media or consumed by social media? I'm just intrigued by your thoughts there. Some of the things that I see on social media are more of like space fillers. How much substance is there really in that type of an account or that type of social media? And then thinking as an end user, am I really looking at all of these posts? So that means I've got to keep up with a Facebook, a Twitter, WhatsApp, Insta, my Snap. And so there's just a lot of stuff to keep up with. And I've had to be okay with not keeping up with everything, which is why I've named Facebook as my primary source of like keeping connected. I think social media can easily consume you and can also be overwhelming because then you might be telling yourself stories like, hmm, if I'm not keeping up with all of my social media, then folks are not connected to me. You can't let that be what your mindset is, right? And you've got to truly put yourself in a position where you name the social media you want to be your primary outlet, and then you use the other ones as your bonus. Yeah, that totally makes sense, especially because we are just overwhelmed by the amount of posts. So I think what I'm hearing from you is be strategic on how you post and where you post and essentially go where your network is, right? If your network happens to be more on Facebook, then that's where you're going to post. The second part that I really like about your strategy, though, Yanni, is that it sounds to me like you do this blanket post on like Facebook, but then you also do very strategic touch points via your phone calls. Tell me a little bit about those. Are they awkward? Do people expect that you're calling? Do you have to schedule them beforehand? Or how does that work for you? I definitely don't schedule them beforehand. It would be impossible. My life is all over the place. So I have to also give myself the grace to place those calls when I can. But I have definitely committed myself to making two calls a week. And so what I try to do is have one professional call. So maybe a colleague or somebody that I haven't spoken to in a long time, somebody that I may have done business with in the past. And it's typically just a, hey, how are you doing? How's your business going? Yeah, these are the things we're working on in our school. Is there anything we can partner up on today in the future? or maybe later, or brainstorm on, great, thank you, bye. So truly anything from five to 10 minutes. But let me tell you, when I reconnect with somebody that has something really hot brewing, it could end up being half an hour to an hour on the phone. So I have to be okay with that. And then of course, my personal phone calls, right with my friends and people in my social network, making sure they're okay, let them know that I care about them. So I'll call a friend, usually somebody that maybe it's their birthday month, or they're celebrating something special, or maybe this is a tough time for them. So just kind of reaching out and letting them hear my voice as well. I also make it a point to leave a voicemail. And if it's somebody that I really want to talk to, I'll text them and say, Hey, I just called you, listen to your voicemail and call me back. So I try to make sure that they know that I'm just calling out of the kindness of my heart to stay connected more than anything. I really like that. And I wish I was a bit more proactive like you on getting my professional networks and my personal networks a call. I mean, obviously, 
talk to my mom every day, but that's very different than what you're mentioning, which is really keeping up with people and just like making them aware that you're okay. This is what you're up to. So I really like that strategy. And let me ask you then, where do you find the time to do this? Because I think all of us are going 80 miles an hour. And how do you make that trade off in your mind? So obviously you could make a call or you could watch Netflix for 30 minutes. So how do you make that trade off in your brain? And why does it matter so much to you that you do make those calls? First of all, I don't want to make the trade off. So I had to find some good time to be making phone calls. As you grow and once you've graduated from college and you've got your job, you start to discover that you have some downtime in between. And for me, sometimes that's what I like to call like windshield time. So sometimes when I'm driving, that's usually when I'll make the best calls because they're quick, they're easy. I'm getting to a destination and I can wrap up my call. And the person that I'm speaking to knows that, hey, this was just a touch point. So that's one quick idea. And that's kind of like how they started for me. Then as I started putting more value into the calls, I was like, oh, no, I cannot be calling people while I'm driving because I'm going to want to talk about different things and ideas and I want to jot stuff down. So to your point, I truly started having to prioritize like, okay, on Thursdays at six o'clock, I'm going to stop what I'm doing and I'm going to call someone. And now every Thursday, I have an hour that I carve out to make those two calls. And they're usually in the evening. Something that's become a little tricky for me is that I've moved out of my time zone. So I do have to be a little mindful of what time it is. Because sometimes if my calls run over, if I'm calling a little bit later, could definitely be a little bit much later for my friends. But ultimately, what happened was that those calls truly evolved into something that was very powerful and impactful for me. So it was easy for me to start prioritizing that and saying, hey, when I get home, kick my shoes off, I'm going to spend an hour on the phone with people that I know, love and care about. I think the two words here that you said are powerful and impactful. And I think at the end of the day, if you're having conversations that are powerful and impactful, you will begin to prioritize them. So I want to say about a month and a half ago, I hadn't talked to a friend who is graduating from his PhD in MIT. We scheduled it and we had 30 minutes where my life was flipped upside down. And in those moments where you're like, wow, I really do need to hear a perspective that's not my everyday network. And I think that's what you're getting at. Because you would make such an effort and a concentrated effort to have these conversations, your life continues to be flipped in many ways. And that's why you find them so meaningful. And that's why you keep on doing it. That is correct. And I think that's the truth for like anything that we do, right? You think about exercise and at first you're like, oh, this stinks. But you start to see results and you're like, oh, I should prioritize exercise. So that's basically the same concept with these calls, but they don't require me to sweat so much. And I really enjoy doing them. It also allows your network to reciprocate. So don't be surprised if all of a sudden you're getting a random call from someone and they're like, hey, just kind of see how you're doing, see what you're working on, see what you're up to. Because I remember when I got my first call back, I was like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm copying what you did. I really loved it. And I really enjoyed that our time together. And so now I do it with my people. So that's also a way that this practice has kind of like paid itself forward. That was never my intention. I was definitely doing it for selfish reasons. But it has allowed other people to also adopt that practice and enrich their lives too. I love that you call it a practice. It's like my yoga practice or like my running practice. Like it's, it just becomes integral of who you are and what you do. So Yanni, I don't want to take that much of your time. Any last words of encouragement, tips, or anything that you want to leave our audience with? The big idea here and what I want every listener to walk away from this podcast knowing and internalizing is that every single person 
that has come into your life at any given point is part of your network. It is up to you how you leverage and how you massage that network into the things that you need and want, and also how you become an active part of that network so that people are also reaching out to you. Don't be afraid to meet somebody new. Don't be afraid to meet somebody that you don't like or that doesn't become your friend. Be okay with meeting people. That's what makes your network so strong and so powerful. And I think the last little nugget is just remember that your network is what will continue to kind of like feed your soul and keep you going every single day of your life. As you think through things that you've experienced, don't be afraid to share them. Somebody else may be going through the same experience as you are. And because you have a network, you also have a ton of people that are out there with resources, supports, areas of expertise that help you get through the day and ultimately continue moving forward in your life. Perfect. Well, you have been so amazing in this episode. So we really, really appreciate your time and all the nuggets of great information that you shared with us. We hope that you continue to be a friend of the podcast and we can't wait to have you back on another topic. Of course. Thank you so much, Norma, for having me. Well, that's it, folks. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope that you enjoy the conversation with Yanni. I specifically liked her techniques on how she keeps up with her network. I appreciate the phone calls and the social media strategy that she shared with us. I think more than anything, the thing that stuck out to me the most was making sure that we all understand that all the people that we connect with, that we interact with, are part of our network. And really, it is up to each and every one of us to take that next step and make those connections long lasting and and meaningful connections that are going to hopefully um, be really rewarding, not just because they're transactional and you get something and the other person gets something, but because we make meaningful connections as human beings. Now, I will mention that we will be taking a break for the summer and we will be back with you all towards the end of the summer. We wish you all a fruitful summer break and we cannot wait to come back and celebrate our one year anniversary with all of you. Stay tuned and stay in touch. And until next time, happy summer.